Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. This will be on your screen. The seventh verse. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Read that verse with me now. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. One more time. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. We've watched the world around us the past few weeks and it seems that everywhere you turn, no matter where you look in our world, there is turmoil and there is pain. We just watched a devastating hurricane hit Florida. It's taken lives, it's obliterated structures. There are many churches in Florida today who are not meeting in their beautiful sanctuary, but rather they're in a parking lot with pop-up tents and tarps and they're making do. Uh, the grocery stores are still uh, affected. Life seems to be paused. There are many people, it will be years before their community looks anything like it did before. A very sad situation. Uh, there's a war, if you've not heard, in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. And even as we sit here today, uh, thousands of miles away in Western North Carolina, it's a war that intensifies. And it's not just a war that's being felt or fought uh, within Eastern Europe. Rather, it's a war that's being fought and being felt even here at home. It's affecting our daily lives. Our own president this past week used words like Armageddon and nuclear crisis in his speech and in his updates. The global economy is on the brink of something it has never seen before. Just a few days ago in London, the Bank of England had to step in and limit margin calls on pension funds. They literally had to manipulate the market. The decline was so rapid, it was so severe that banking institutions would have become insolvent, completely depleted of all value in one trading session. Trillions of dollars would have simply disappeared in one afternoon session of an open market. And the truth is, church, that political and economic turmoil may just be beginning, not just in global markets across the ocean, but even in the markets here at home. Things are not going in the right direction. The political atmosphere here in America, it continues to deteriorate. There's never been so much hate. There's never been so much deceit, manipulation, and distrust. And at this point, much of it seems irreparable. It seems that we will never recover to civility where just three decades ago, Democrats and Republicans could go to Old Ebbett Grill in Washington, D.C. after a heated debate and argument and have a club sandwich together and talk. Those days seem like they will never return. According to data just released by the CDC, in a 12-month period from March 2021, to March of 2022, in 12 months, 109,000 Americans lost their lives to drug overdose. Annual overdose rates have reached record levels yet again. It's a 44% uptick in both accidental and intentional overdoses. 
And you would think that if things were where they needed to be, that 109,000 deaths, 109,000 deaths would cause a public outcry. Where are the ABC specials remembering the victims of this drug crisis? Where is the CNN investigative report on where the drugs are coming from and who is making them? Instead, we are infatuated with things like gender identity and critical race theory. You say, there you go, becoming political. No, ladies and gentlemen, this is far beyond politics. This is good versus evil. And somehow we have taken on the 109,000 deaths from overdose, from drug use and abuse. And instead of mourning, instead of there being streets filled with people who are weeping and asking God for forgiveness, instead we are in the streets trying our best to hold on to the right to end more life just in the womb instead of adolescence or for young people who have a drug issue. These are troubling days. These days that we're living in point to what is to come. If we understand our Bibles, if we understand end times, if we understand eschatology at all, we know that these days clearly are pointed out for us in Scripture. These days have arrived. They are before you and you have to live in it and you have to deal with it. And yes, you have to even contend for the faith while living in it. But church, let me remind you, Christian believer, let me remind you that your God is not out of business. Let me say that again. Your God is not out of business. Your God is in control. Your God still knows where you are. He still knows every hair on your head. And these days that we're living in, might I remind you that you are still here in these days. God has left us here. Uh, This is not the tribulation. Let me say that again. This is not the tribulation. But can you imagine when God finally takes his hand off of the world completely and allows all evil and wickedness to do as it pleases unchecked without the representation of the church? Can you imagine what those days will be? I won't be here for them. I'll be safe home in the harbor. These are the last days, but these are not the tribulation. These are perilous days and scripture has foretold But church, it cannot be your focus. What's happening outside, what's happening in culture, what's happening to our country as it literally deteriorates and unravels cannot be the singular focus of a Christian's life. It's easy to do. If you love your country especially, it's easy to become obsessed with what's taking place in our nation. Men fought and bled and died so that we could have this great nation that God has gifted to us to take care of and to watch after and to thank him for the liberties and the freedoms that we have. But it could be that your children or your grandchildren may live in a United States of America that no longer understands 
understands what it means to be really free. It could come to a place where it is illegal for your pastor to preach certain things from the pulpit. You say that's impossible. There are people sitting in jail in prison today just north of our border in Canada with two-year federal sentences because they preach the truth of God's word. And we're on a fast train, a fast track to that location. That's why it is so important that you know what you know because you find it within the word of God. That you believe what you believe because you know you can find it in the word of God. That our faith is secure and it's fastened. But this is not our focus. As heartbreaking as it is to see droves of people who are clenched by sin, who are absent of any light, of any peace, of any joy, As heartbreaking as that is, you as a believer, you as a Christian, you are called to live in a different reality. It's not that we ignore those people. It's not that we ignore the world around us. But when we look at the world, listen to what I'm saying this morning. When we look at the world, when we look at everything that's going on around us, we can never take ourselves out of context. You cannot look at the world and expect to find hope. You cannot look at the world and expect to find peace. You cannot look at the world and expect to find joy. As a Christian, you've been given the antidote. You have been given the cure to the uncurable disease called sin. And the only way you experience hope and peace and joy is in what God has given you as a believer. You are called to live a different reality. And you possess the one thing that everyone in the world so desperately needs. And that's the hope that only Jesus Christ can bring to a man, a woman, a teenager, a young adult, an old gray-haired grandmother. Only Jesus can bring them real hope that lasts. It's hope that you have. It's peace And it's joy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, listen to this verse. You have to pay attention to what he said here. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if Christ and his promises are only valid here in this world, in this life, Paul said, then we are the most miserable people in existence. In other words, you cannot look at your life, you cannot look at hope, you cannot look for peace and joy in the context of just this life. Rather, you as a Christian, as a believer, you look at life in light of what's to come. You see, this is not it. Let me hit rewind and say that again. This is not it. One of the greatest tricks and tactics of Satan is to blind people into thinking that these 100 years, if they're lucky, on this earth is all that matters. Get what you can, however it takes, whatever it takes. Be happy, have money, do what you want to do, find pleasure and keep finding more pleasure. Keep going down that rabbit hole. Go for you and do what makes you happy. If it's love, just, just keep 
pushing because somewhere at the end of the rainbow, there's a fuzzy little bunny rabbit and it's all warm and it's good. What a lie straight from the devil himself. If I'm left to my own opinions, my own advice, my own desire, my own wickedness, it ends with me with my life ruined, devastated by sin in this life. And then the most sad context, the most sad story, the worst thing that could happen is that it would cost me all of eternity trying to find something here that would never actually satisfy my soul in the first place. That's the trick of the devil. This life, the Bible says, is a vapor. It comes and it goes. If you are blessed with a hundred years, it is nothing in light of eternity. Nothing in light of forever and ever and ever. And Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable, but we have something to look forward to. We have something that's past this life. And Christians, may I remind you that your passport, your actual passport, not the one that you use when you check in at Delta Airlines to fly overseas. I'm talking about the passport that's assigned to your soul, that's assigned to your spirit, that's assigned to your never dying soul. Your passport as a Christian, your passport as a believer does not say United States of America issued by the Department of State. No, yours says issued by heaven, authorized by Jesus, good for all of eternity. It's not your home. You're a foreign alien in a land where you'll never be completely comfortable. And until you come to that place, You'll never realize what God has for you, not just here, but waiting for you there. The essence of all of this is one word, and it's hope. It's hope. You need hope. I need hope, but I just don't need hope in something that can fracture, something that can fail. I need hope that will last everything that's coming, everything that's already here. Let me give you a few things about the word hope this morning. Number one. Hope is guaranteed by Christ. Christ guarantees hope. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you. God in his sovereignty and in his authority has laid stake on the word hope. He says, I am the God of hope. It does not belong to the world. It does not belong to a political party. It does not belong to one nation or one creed. Rather, the word hope and what it really means belongs to God himself. He calls him the God of hope. But Christ guarantees the hope. You see, a hope that's guaranteed by Christ is a hope that you don't have to worry about. Not only does he guarantee the hope here in this life, but he guarantees the hope there in the life to come. Romans 8, 24 says this, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? The word here that the apostle Paul is using for hope. It's a little bit different of a definition and understanding than when we hear the word hope in English. You see, this word that he's using here, the definition in the Greek of this word hope 
comes with no connotation of it might happen. It comes with no possibility of it being a chance. Rather, this type of hope is something that is certain to take place. It just has not been realized yet. What a strong word. The Apostle Paul said, we are saved by hope. A certain hope that only Christ can guarantee. He guarantees it through salvation. Eternal life through and by Jesus Christ. You say, I'm so tired of hearing pastors talk about eternal life. Let's move on to something else. No, if we mess that up, we have nothing. Eternal life. Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl under the sound of my voice, those that are born, those that have been born, and those yet to be born will live eternally somewhere. No, I'll just go into the ground and become dust and dirt and I'll just go back into the earth and it'll be an eternal sleep. Again, this is more of the lies that the devil whispers into the ears of those who have not believed. Number one, Christ guarantees hope. Number two, scripture guarantees, I'm sorry, scripture teaches hope. Christ guarantees hope, but scripture teaches hope. It's one thing to say the word. It's another thing to understand what it means. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to understand it and why you can believe it. Romans 15, 4 says this. It says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of what? The scriptures might have what? Hope through the scriptures. The word of God will not only inform you how to endure, but it will also encourage you in the process. And without the Bible, without the clear and the certain promises of the word of God, we have no basis for hope. If I don't have the word of God to tell me what hope is and who hope is and how hope really works, then how am I to understand hope? The word of God will teach you what hope is. It will uphold what it teaches you. You will never find fault in the word of God. It is a perfect, infallible, wholly inspired book of hope. And it'll teach you how to get through life, how to endure, and to give you an encouragement and comfort in the process. Would people come to my office and they want to have a session with a pastor and they want to talk about the things that are going on in their life and they need counseling above what happens here behind the pulpit and in their personal life when they need some more advice? Uh, my first question to anyone with any problem is this. Christian, believer, are you reading your Bible. That's the first question. It doesn't matter how long they've been saved. It doesn't matter what position or point they are in life. If they've come to my office and the problem is so great that they have come to a place where they need further assistance, the first question I ask is, where are you in reading your Bible? And if the response is, well, I, not really, you know, every once in a while I'll get a psalm in, but, but, but no, pastor, really, I, I'm not. There's no real consistency. I'm not consuming God's word daily. My, my wife and I, we're really not doing that at all and not together, and, and really we're having a, a problem there. My instruction to them then is this. You take two or three weeks. Be consistent to feed yourself the word of God. 
the truth that you find in the word of God. Open up your Bible and see where you've made notes where God encouraged you through his word. And then in a couple of weeks, let's see where your problem really is. And one of two things happen. Uh, Number one, they don't come back and I don't know what takes place. Or number two, they'll find me after a service or they'll call me or send me an email and they'll say, hey, pastor, we spent a couple of weeks in God's word consistently and and, and good news, we're not gonna need to come back and meet in your office. Uh, God just kind of fixed it all for us. He gave us some truth. He gave us some peace. We got our joy back and I think everything's gonna be just fine. The word of God will teach your family, will teach your heart exactly what you need to be able to endure. Scripture teaches hope. Number three, the gospel message. The gospel message was born in hope. The gospel message was born in hope. This goes all the way back 2,000 years ago. We're in Bethlehem. We're in the Tower of Migdal. This is an old Jebusite military installation. And it's become a birthing center for little lambs. A birthing center for the lambs that will be born for sacrifice to be taken to the temple. And this, I believe, as our Moses, our five-star general, has taught us so well, that this is actually the birthplace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the lower level of that tower of Migdal, in the birthing chambers where the little lambs that were perfect and spotless could go to the temple for sacrifice, there that night, 2,000 plus years ago, hope was born. And it was the good news, the gospel message. And, And the gospel is rooted in hope. Well, you say, I've never heard Jesus called hope necessarily at his birth. Where do we find the hope? How how do we link those two things together? Go to the Annunciation by the heavenly host. Go with me to Luke chapter two, verse number seven, a little Christmas in October. Verse number seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son, Paul's right there. That is the son of God, your kinsman redeemer that's just been born. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there that Bethlehem sky was filled and a heavenly host came and the multitude of the heavenly host was praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill to men. 
Now you remember what the apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 13. He said, now the God of hope fill you. But what does the God of hope fill you with? Paul said, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And there on that ground level in that birthing center for lambs, hope was born. Hope became flesh and his tiny little infant lungs began to expand with the air of the earth that should have been foreign to him but because there was sin and a great chasm between Winston and eternal life, hope was born in Bethlehem so that 2,000 years later at 216 Shelburne Road in 2022 there would be hundreds of people thousands all over the globe that can look at the world and say, oh, what a horrible situation. But I still stand today with peace, with joy, and with hope that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, the gospel message, the good news that you had a way out. Hope was born. That you didn't have to go and spend eternity in hell. That God loved you enough to send his darling son so that you could have hope. Not hope that can be swayed by the actions of wicked men. Not hope that can fracture at the weight of the darkness and the evil. But hope that's rooted all the way back to the cross where the blood ran and it saved souls for all of eternity. Hope, the gospel, it was born in Bethlehem and it's still alive today in my heart and yours. Hope, the gospel was born in hope. And if you're here today and you don't know him, this could be the greatest day of your life. Are you tired of looking in places that lead to more dead ends? Are you tired of pressing up against the darkness and the wickedness and the evil, only looking for something to make a fix that only lasts temporarily? At the end of every bottle, at the end of every high, at the end of every illicit relationship, there is the absence, the void of hope. Number four, the world is void of real hope. Let me remind you who I was before Jesus opened my eyes. Ephesians 2.12 says, Winston, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. I was 15 years old and conviction came by my way. The Holy Ghost of God had been wooing me and drawing me all week long. And then God's man stood in the pulpit in that old building in 2005 on a Wednesday night. And he talked about Jesus. He talked about what Jesus could do for any heart in any life, anywhere in any time. And I came to the end of my rope. 
the most hopeless, desperate feeling I ever felt was right before the weight of the world. The chains of sin were forever cast off of me. The new ring, the new robe, the new shoes, the new name that's written down in glory that was given to me that day that gave me hope. And because of that hope, it has given me peace and it has given me joy despite my imperfections. And the world will tempt you, it will taunt you, and it will try to distract you and offer certain shiny flashing things, usually rooted in evil, which is the root of all wickedness, all evil. But at the end of that dollar, at the end of that fix, at the end of that high, there's hopelessness. And the world is void of real hope. And this is how we close. The world is void of real hope. But number five, Christians are stable because of hope. Do you realize that Christians are the most stable people in the world? Think about that for a moment. Christians are the most stable people in the world. Jesus said, if you belong to me, you're salt and you're light. Okay, salt stops the decay. It stops the process of ruin and death. Light casts out darkness. And Jesus said, if you belong to me, that's who you are. And this verse here, 2 Thessalonians 2 16 and 17, it says this. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Those in the faith can rest in the power and the authority and the encouragement and the strength of who God really is. And when the world looks at you and you're having to go through the same problems, the same economic downturns, the same pain at the funeral home, the same issues at the hospital room, and they watch you respond differently to them, it may even be foolishness. How can you be so stable? How can you be so calm? Because of the peace and the joy and the hope that I have in Jesus. Number five, Christians are stable because of hope. Number six, Christians are to be known by hope. You're to be known by hope. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. First Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's nothing I could do for myself. My hope, my peace, and my joy have nothing to do with what I could muster, what I could accomplish. Rather, it's all to the glory of God in what He did. That's my answer. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I wouldn't be standing here today. And then lastly, seven Christians are anchored in hope. You're anchored in hope. Hebrews 6, 19 says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. This is a holy, holy hope. It's a holy, holy joy. It's a holy, holy peace. Remember the old song we learned in vacation Bible school? 
I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. This is the most important place. Yeah. What did that just say? Down in my heart. To stay. To stay. Down in my heart. To stay. And I'm so happy. So very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. Yeah. The key to that is that it's there to stay. It's there to stay. Trial and tribulation will come in this life. Tough days are guaranteed. Hard times may be on the horizon. It could be that the happiest days of your life are are just around the corner. But just around the other corner, there will be difficult days. That's part of the existence in this life. But the anchor that holds, in spite of the storm, the winds that blow, the rains that come, the anchor stays perfectly in place. And the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ gifted to you at salvation to the office work of the Holy Spirit is a hope, it's a peace, and it's a joy that's there to stay. And it will see you all the way home to the safe harbor in the land called Beulah. This is not it. This is not my home. And before we get done eating our chicken, the trumpet could sound. And the Lord could come for his bride. Someone can help me on the piano as we close. My heart this morning is to simply encourage you to cling to the hope that holds the anchor that is immovable. You say, well, pastor, I feel like I am in the most turbulent few weeks of my life. I don't know which way is up, which way is down. I am absolutely devastated with this one particular problem, this one particular issue. Here's the good news. James tells us how to handle this as Christians. Remember, this sermon is for Christians. This is for believers. James tells us that when we're in those places, when we're in those times, to confess our faults one to another. See, if I'm in a place and I'm having a hard time, I've got three or four people that I trust with everything in my life. I can tell them anything. And some things will go to their grave. Hard times, hard days that I've had. Thoughts that I've allowed the enemy to take root in my mind. And I have to go and confess my fault. Not every little petty sin that I've ever committed, but transparent Christian living. I've had to pick up the phone and call my granddaddy's cell phone and say, granddaddy, I'm having a hard time. He'll go, well, hold on a second. Let me put down what I'm doing. Doesn't matter what he's doing. Doesn't matter who he's talking to. Well, hold on a second. Let me, let me get free. I want to talk to you. And I can say, I, I'm doubting whether this is, I, I don't know if I... Can you, would you, and and you know what he allows me to do? He allows me to confess my fault because 99.9% of the time, it's my old doubting Thomas heart that can't see past the storm and the tough day that's just right around the bend, a few days away. But when my anchor feels wobbly and shaky and like I'm all over the place, 
I can go to someone whose anchor is steady and solid. And he can look down in the calm water and say, no, the anchor's still there. And Winston, if you would pay close enough attention, you could look down in your storm, in your water, even though the water is stirred up and see that the anchor is not moving and get some encouragement. And some of us here today simply need that. We need to admit to ourselves and to someone we trust, we're having a hard time. We're having a tough go. And we need some hope. We need some joy. And we need some peace. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The altars are open as they always are. If you need to come pray, you come pray. My heart today is to simply encourage you to hold fast to what you know to be true, to cling to the word of God and the hope that holds. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that say, Pastor, I'm in a most difficult place. I'm in a turbulent storm of life. I'm robbed of peace. I'm robbed of joy. I'm having some sleepless nights and I need some prayer help. Would you just be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? No one's gonna come to you. No one's looking around. Thank you, ma'am, for your honesty. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over the building. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that say, Pastor, if I had to come to terms with reality, I'm not saved and on my way to heaven. I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I need to be saved. Is there anyone here? No one's looking around or moving about, but is there anyone here that say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Ask God to do the work that only he can. Is there a single hand in this building? One soul that said, I I need Jesus. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice? Anyone? If you don't have peace about leaving this service, then please, before you even go and eat your meal, come and find one of the pastors. We'll take God's word and we'll show you what it says. We're gonna go into a season of prayer. Let's stand all over the building. If you raised your hand, there's something in your life going on. There's a storm, a problem, an issue. You need peace, you need hope, you need joy back in your life. The altars are open. You come and pray. You do business with God. Dozens and dozens of hands went up all over this sanctuary. Would you come and pray? All of those that raised their hand, I've got something in my life. You just simply wanna come and pray. If you need prayer help, we'll be here for you and pray with you. Brother Arthur, you sing whatever God's laid on your heart. You pray from right where you are. Come to this altar like these already are.